Welcome to episode four of Views from the Clutch. I am your boy, Smart Alex, with my co-host, C. Grant. What's good? What's going on with you, brother? How's everything? Everything's good, man. Can't complain, man. Can't complain at all. Before we get into it, as always, I just want to take time out to give a big time thank you to all the supporters as they continue to accumulate all the feedback, all the sharing. We love it. And we hope to continue to provide y'all with content that y'all find to be entertaining. And we definitely welcome all feedback, good, bad, in between. If there's a topic that you want to hear us talk about, if you want to join the podcast and, you know, be a guest on one of our episodes, let us know. We're going to be looking to work and incorporating that in the future. But for now, we are going to get into our topics of the day. And we are going to start with the extension of the Portland Trailblazers backcourt yo that was crazy i mean I, I expected it i didn't um honestly didn't realize cj was um up for it already but i mean it was kind of a no-brainer from portland i gotta do that and this is i mean you said it's a good look it's just a lot of paper tied to two players but i mean the reality is this is this is the time they gotta go full steam ahead it's just the biggest problem with portland is it's never been those two. It's just the fact they've never had that third player that helped them out, you know, because, I mean, you got to figure this season they went to the Western Conference Finals, but last year they got swept. So it's uh, one of those things we're going to see. It's like a make it or break it type situation. But like I said, the both of them is dumb nice. They're both young, both of them under 30, and they're going to be in Portland pretty much for the rest of their career, which is one of those things where, it reminds you of um, Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler. You know what I mean? Because those two casters were around together in Portland forever. And these two is the, the new, you know, the new version of that that's going to be together for that longevity period, which, you know, you, you want that. You know, as a player, you want that stability. You know, if you got, they got families, raise your family then. But also when, you, when you're recruiting players or trying to do your best to bring free agents in, they already know what y'all two can do. So it works out for everybody. Um, first and foremost, before I get into my point, I'm going to say that I don't agree. I'm not saying that CJ had an option in regards to this particular situation, because if you lay out all the facts like you did, common sense says, yeah, you take that three years and an extra $100 million because – the reality of a basketball career means that you've got to pursue the best alternatives, the best options, especially from a financial standpoint that you can, especially in a market like Portland. But let's do some revisionist history. The Portland Trailblazers, with one of the best backcourts at the time, went to the finals twice. They lost to Jordan when he hung 35 on them in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And then didn't they also lose to Detroit? Uh, nah, did, did they, you talk about Clyde and them? I don't think Clyde and them went twice. I think they only went once. So when the Lakers got their, okay, so when the Pistons got their first championship, it was against the Lakers, correct? Yeah. they yeah. lost to them in the finals. Yep, then they yep. followed up and went back to the finals. And yeah. who did they play? You saying the Pistons? Yeah, the Pistons. The when Pistons. they won their back-to-back, who was the second team they beat? Hmm. I thought it was the Lakers. Oh, was it? It might have been Portland. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All right, my bad. 
No, 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 no. I'm not even saying it from a, like a, like trying to correct you. I'm just saying like I'm, I, I could be wrong too. And and if I am, then somebody definitely leave something in the comments pointing it out. I'm gonna look it up briefly, but I have something up on my browser window, so I don't really want to change what I'm I'm looking at right now. But going back to that, my point is like you said, you said okay, they need that third guy. So if it's about that third guy. And all these teams that are currently building themselves up to be considered contenders, we got the Clippers. They're rated to be the favorite to win a title this year. They've got a dynamic duo. And all around the league, all we're seeing are assemblies of dynamic duos. Now, do they have a lot of these rosters already have a quality third player in place? I think that um, the Clippers definitely have it. They have three quality potential third guys on the team. They got Montrez, Lou Williams. And they've got Beverly. So they've got proven NBA talent that could step into that third slot based on their productivity and give you, I guess, you that oomph that, that you need. But I just think that the playoffs, especially in the Western Conference, is really about matchups. Portland played above their head and got to the Western Conference Finals last year. Is that really a Western Conference Finals team? If you put that Portland team against Houston in the second round, does Houston beat them? They got swept by the Warriors. And, yeah. Houston, and Houston won two games against the Warriors, the eventual Western Conference champions. And not to say that's a good way to evaluate, but I think on paper, Portland wasn't better than Houston. So I just think the, 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 you know, the cards fell where they needed to, whereas in the past for Portland, they fell against their favor. And that's why they were dealing with those first round accents, because, because they had really tough matchups in those first round series. This time around, who did they get in the first round? Who did Portland get in the first round? Um, they got Oklahoma City, which is you had both players. You had Paul George, who was basically playing on surgically repaired shoulders, and Russell Westbrook having the worst shooting season of his life. Yeah, that was crazy. So you got that situation going in your favor. You beat them, and then Portland gets a green Denver team in the second round, a team who hadn't even learned how to win and will probably be infinitely better because of what they went through, a seven-game series with Portland to win that and then they ran into golden state and got mopped without kevin durant being on the court so i think for the sake of stability i think for the sake of the portland fan base it definitely was the right thing to do you have stars on your team you keep them if there's nothing better out there the problem is is that we all know that there was a lot of options Portland could have if they had an innovative GM a GM who was willing to push the Portland culture forward they probably could have done something with CJ and his contract and gotten themselves involved in possibly getting maybe two players or maybe a player who doesn't play directly opposite of of Damian Lillard because again if you go back into championship history and you look at teams that have won championships in the past what 30 years the only team that really had a dynamic duo backcourt and resonated with championships meaning that that was their primary focus like there was no debate those were your top two players that was Detroit Detroit did it with Joe Dumas and Isaiah Thomas and they went through hell and high water to get those two rings Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and they had nothing but goons at every other position. Okay, you don't want to call Mark Aguirre a goon. You don't have to. Mark Aguirre was definitely a great complimentary third player to what they brought to the table. Yeah, you could say that. But still, their front line was just full of 
that era of basketball is gone. Yeah, and but I, even but you could even say the backcourt of the Pistons that won it with Chauncey and Rip, those are like their two best players. Really? Who was the, who was the best player? Who was besides Chauncey and Rip? At no time, at no time ever during Detroit's winning championships did I consider Chauncey Billups or Rip Hamilton their best player. Consistent, reliable, yes. But their best player on that team was Rasheed Wallace. And he's Rasheed, probably... You think yes. Rasheed was the best player for them? Uh, yes. I, th- I, think, I think it was... Honestly, I think it was... You t- I thought it was Rip and um, Chauncey was the two consistent players during those times they kept going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. The There's a difference between... Okay. Again, like I said, it's kind of like a half and half argument because I can't argue with their consistency. It's statistically proven, if you go back and look at it, that indeed you're, you're accurately telling the truth. Yes, Chauncey and Rip Hamilton were the mainstays, the consistent, but all of their consistency was possible because they had Rasheed Wallace present. Rasheed Wallace was a guy that you could start him off in the high post or you could dump him down on the left block. And then you could run that curl play for Rip. Why? Because he's coming off the same side Rasheed Wallace is. So what's the defense going to do? They're going to drop down and leave that middle area of the paint open, and Rip Hamilton could curl in and take that, what do you want to call it, 15 to 18-foot jumper nonstop. And he did Mm -hmm. that for 18 to 20 points a game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you've got Rasheed Wallace setting that high pick and roll where he's not really rolling. He might be fading with Chauncey. Yep. They're flaring out to the. To so the, what do you what are we doing as a defense? You're saying, all right, what's the what's the lesser of the two? We're gonna sag off Chauncey because he's six one and we can recover to him, six two, six three. I don't want to disrespect Chauncey's height, but you know, you you get what I'm saying. I just think from a basketball standpoint, Rasheed Wallace was their best player because he made everything that they were trying to do work, and I don't think you could slot another guy in there. Remember, they were a good ass team. Then they got Rasheed Wallace, and they became an NBA Finals team. Mm. And, and, and I think that gets overlooked because of, you know, Rasheed Wallace's reputation, the fact that he'll probably never get into the Hall of Fame. He's not, you know, really favored amongst people when they talk about basketball. But Rasheed Wallace was a phenomenal talent. And Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. He, now, that's he, my dog. You remember me? I used to wear the Air Force he, Ones. Factory with the strap on the back. Word. So the black joints, too. So, again, I, I don't want to take anything away from what they've got going on in Portland because I enjoy watching Portland. But I would enjoy watching Portland even – not even Portland even more, but I would enjoy watching C.J. McCollum have command of his own team. He was a point guard at Lehigh. And it just feels like, yeah, you take some responsibility away from him, but you also don't really get to see until you get to see him play with the second team and um, Dame's out of the game how he could control the game on his own. They have two guys who can control the game on their own independently, who are compelled to work together because on that team, on that roster, there's nothing really better that you could cook up or you could, you could, you could push out there. But CJ's an asset. But what did Portland do with the assets that they had? They flipped, uh, they flipped Captain Minrange, Mr. Second Round Pick, uh, who went to Ohio State uh, for another Evan Turner. Evan Turner. Yeah, what did they did? They flip him to to Brooklyn and take back Allen. They did something weird with him, and they took yeah, on a guy yeah, yeah. who has like essentially the same skill set but a different name. I, I don't want to belittle the guy, so I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and look it up. But um, yeah, they they flipped at, um, 
Yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, but they got they got rid of Evan Turner, which I mean they had to they had, and they got rid of they got rid well they had got rid of Crabtree a couple years ago. Right, but, they got rid of Crabtree. They got they got they got, um, they got him a couple. The Nets they got taken, and yeah. then the Nets flipped them this year too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he they traded they traded Evan Turner to the Hawks for Kent Bazemore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I don't have anything against Kent Bazemore. And from his reputation, he, he's a great locker room guy. He had that reputation when he was in Golden State, and then he wound up going to Atlanta and getting the nice contract that he got. You know, he's loved around the league. But as a basketball player, all I can really say he does is he gives a lot of effort. But he's not particularly outstanding in any one facet of the game that's going to push you anywhere, whereas at least Evan Turner was a playmaker. Evan Turner was like the second-team point guard. Yeah, but to me, I see Evan Turner to me was too, too hot and too cold. Like there were some days where you tried to rely on him and he didn't come through. Then there was other days where, you know, he stepped up. It was he was just too inconsistent. You know, which one thing that's what I I didn't like too much about Evan Turner was just it's like you 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 shouldn't be that inconsistent. You know, like you've been in the league, you're a veteran. Like you shouldn't still be the the dude that gets twenty six minutes a game. And some games you'll give me 15 points, and some games you'll give me more fouls and points. It's like, come on, man. Like, I, I expect more from you because, like I said, you're a professional, and your, your game and what the team wants out of you, you should be able to give me 12 to 15 points or not. Not four, you know, be two for eight, or, you know, two for 11, and then be trying to take shots at the end of the game. If you're like, nah, man, it's not, you're not hot. So, yeah, I don't. Exactly. So we're gonna briefly go over their roster. So you've got yeah, yeah, Baysmore, Collins, who's probably gonna start. Yeah, the white boy. He's pretty. He's pretty. He, they need the energy. So yeah, they picked up Powell. So he's insurance for Hassan Whiteside. Yep. They got your boy Mario Hazonia over there. Yeah, his claim to fame is blocking LeBron and, and, and on dunk. Right. You stepping over Giannis too, though. You got Rodney Hood. You got yeah, Scal Labassier, who I do hope someday develops into some type of credible NBA player because he's Haitian and I always root for Haitians in the NBA. Damian Lillard, of course. Um, I'm not gonna mention their rookies because they don't even have pictures on the website. And when you talk about it, no, but that's that rookie Nasir Little though. He's supposed now. Let me say this. He was one of the top ranked ranked players in in high school. Correct. He, he was went a, to North, he was he a went to North Carolina. Carolina. He's very athletic. Yeah, and he's another. But he's another. He's right. another one of those gunless guys in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and that, like I said, so yeah, you can skip over him because you know this is the most light that he'll probably get all season is from us. So I know I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I promise you there'll be five to six Nasir little highlights. And they probably won't have anything to do with the game being close. It'll just be something ridiculous that he did with his athletic ability. His highlight reels, they're crazy. The boy gets up. I will take nothing away yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, yeah, in the yeah. NBA, if you can jump out the gym, you can get yourself in the NBA as a rookie. You can get yourself three years. You can get yourself a nice little three-year <laughs> because you're going to get that rookie deal. Like, perfect example is uh, Josh Jackson from Kansas. Like, all he could do that we knew verified for a fact when he got drafted was jump. Oh, he's crazy athletic. He could develop. He's got playmaking skills, and if he develops a decent jump shot, he could be X, Y, Z, A, B, C. None of that happened. Uh-uh. 
Yeah, nah, None of that nah, happened. Nah. So I'm not saying that, you know, Nasir Little will never develop a gun. Maybe he does. And on that roster, that may not be where he winds up finalizing his talent. Now I'm going to go to another guy, Gary Trent Jr. He had a very good summer league. There mm-hmm. were a couple games where he 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 was absolutely smoking. So he he could wind up being that guy who replaces Evan Turner. He's six six, and he can play the two and the three. So maybe he'll be the punch. Evan Turner actually wasn't because again, like you said, Evan Turner was going to give you that steady, consistent play, but it wasn't going to be steady and consistent when it came to how much points he was going to put up on the board. When you're the first guy off the bench, you're relied upon to provide some scoring. So. Exactly. So I think I think okay, yeah, maybe you see, if one of those guys steps up, they don't suffer that much of a drop off. Then you got CJ, of course. You got Nurkic, who's coming back from you know a crazy injury. I hope that you know all works out with him. Anthony Simons, who Portland took out of every trade discussion that teams tried to initiate with them. Your boy, yeah, so they they I, they definitely believe in him. That's what I'm saying. Between my opinion, between him and Rodney Hood. You got to find that um, replacement for Evan Turner. Right. Like that. That's going to give you that scoring punch. Because like you said, you, you believe in a kid like this so much, he got to show up. And then you got Hassan Whiteside. So, and you also have Anthony Tolliver, who he comes off the bench, plays power forward, but he's a stretch forward. He just shoots nothing but open threes. He'll pick and fade you to death. Mm-hmm. His gun is legit, though. Like, he's like a career 40% or somewhere near 40% three-point shooter. Yeah, I get why he winds up. Guy. I, and I get why he winds up on a roster every year. He's 34 years old. And shout out to the vets, man. The vets always deserve that opportunity, especially when they do their job and they do their job well. But you take that exactly. roster, all those people I named, and you flip a guy like CJ. And you flip him. But, I mean, the thing about it is you, we also got to remember, this is the NBA. Who says that Portland doesn't flip either one of these players pretty soon anyway? Right. So I'm projecting projecting that by the time these contracts, these extensions go into play, I don't think both of them will fulfill their contractual obligations as a Portland trailblazer. I think eventually somebody's going to come to their senses based on how the Western Conference is rigged and the type of team that they have, that they're going to need to go in a different direction to get any further. And I don't think that they're going to step off of Lillard because Lillard just doesn't seem to be that type. His interviews, his demeanor, what he talks about when he's asked about, you know, how he handles himself and his dedication to Portland. It's almost like, you know, he's the new logo for the Blazers, to be honest with you. He's their franchise player. So I got. Well, plus he, his salary is going to be harder to move than CJ's. Correct. Correct. And I think, but CJ's extension for that three years, he's going to be averaging 33 mil. So. Yeah, but remember, 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 uh, Dame's extension was like one ninety six. Oh yeah, or something yeah. Like that. No, Dame's number is so, definitely you know Dame's le- Dame, Dame's in that supermax range where you know you're getting yeah you're getting uh you know jealousy automatic when you walk in the room type of contract. So I, I don't I don't doubt that you know they're gonna be compelled. But again, seeing how these I don't want to call them overpaid, but how these highly paid point guards have got flipped this year, I don't put past anything. I just think that. He doesn't have the same demeanor that Westbrook had or has. So I don't think he'll abandon them. I think he'll wait it out and continue to be loyal because he said he wants to do it there. And I don't think Portland's going to, you know, Portland's a diff- they, they have a different model. So I think they're going to hold true to him being their franchise player. And when the time comes, CJ will get flipped. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, like I said, anything's possible. This is the NBA. Anything's possible. So uh, you just never know. 
You know what I mean? But as as of right now, I think there'll be. I think this it'll be. Um, like I said, that's the thing about NBA, man. This every year is always brings a new element that man I wasn't expecting that or a team that's like even Portland they've been they were consistent number three seed and who knows a lot of people sleeping on them this year they could do the same thing again they could you know I, they could you just don't know my concern my concern is again you have two assets two young guards one that you basically deemed untradeable who's 20 years old Anthony Simons he plays shooting guard that's CJ's position yeah you got Gary Trent Jr. Six five too. Yeah, and you I got think. Gary Trent Jr. who's six six, and he plays shooting guard and or small forward, and he's on a low contract. So you got these two guys that you're keeping. They're going to play next year. We don't know to what extent, but if one of those guys takes off, what do you got to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. You're going to be. You're definitely going to be faced with some options. Some serious, uh, serious things to consider. And do you balance out your roster like a good GM would do, or do you just say, you know what, I'm going to remain top heavy with these guys that I paid because you know loyalty is everything. No, I mean I would hope you don't, you don't become a slave to that. Opportunities to improve your team as a general manager—that's your obligation. So I get that you might be quote unquote. And I and here's another thing. What do you feel is the temperature? basketball-wise, for the chemistry between CJ and Dame. Do you ever really recall them having a, oh, they play off of each other like Clay and Curry do? No. Mm-mm. No, but I think they, they – let me say this. This is one thing This is one thing I've always thought. They play, bet, they play off each other the way I thought Beal and Wall would have, you know, where it's not, it's not Clay and Steph – but it's not that far behind. It's just Clay and Steph are so dynamic as shooting shooters that you know neither CJ, CJ, and in my opinion, CJ and Dame, it would take too much work for them to get real hot. With Clay and Steph, it don't take that much. Take a couple of screens, boom, they got fifteen points. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, look at Clay, he he done hit sixty with like what ten dribbles or something like that. You know, so I don't think I think those, these two. CJ and Lillard, they are they both need the ball to really get going, you know. And I think that's what separates them from that top tier of backcourt. I think they both, like I said, as good as they are, but it takes a lot of work for them to get going. Whereas Curry and Clay, which is like tier one, it don't take much for them to really get going. They don't have to pound the ball fifteen times, you know. They yeah, get like a couple of passes and they're going, like they're going. Yeah, like I classify. Those two backcourts with, with, with simple words. The Golden State backcourt to be a score off the touch backcourt, meaning that the moment that they touch the ball, they are instantaneously a threat to score. Yeah. Portland is a feel backcourt. Those guys are great scorers, but they need to feel the game yeah, 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 to yeah. get cooking. And, and that goes along exactly with what you said. But again, we're going to go ahead and, you know, table this for now. I am happy for CJ. I am glad to see that Portland, you know, laid out the money. And I think it was a smart move because you lock that guy up and you get him at a salary number where you know he's tradable if he continues to play at the, the same clip he's been playing. So, yeah, yeah. So I played that right. And I commend them for it. But as far as how far they can go, I think that Western Conference Finals – might be the peak for them 
I, oh no, absolutely, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I don't. No, that that is their peak. Like they're not categorically gonna ever look better than Denver's roster does look right now. They're already rated below both LA teams. Utah got better, so it's almost like you can give them though. Oh, what you did last year, y'all deserve to at least be number three, courtesy. But I don't think they're gonna play themselves into the third seat. They might. They might play themselves into the third seed, but I don't think they'll actually be the third best team in the West when it's all shaken out. Listen, I didn't think they were going to get the third seed in any either one of the seasons that they got it. So anything's possible. Yeah, I mean, but the wild and crazy West allows that that three through six range to be separated only by a few games. So you go on a nice little exactly. five game winning streak to close out the season, and you go from being the fifth seed to the third. You know, exactly. As long as you keep yourself within, you know, a, a shooter's distance and get hot at the right time, you can snatch one of those seeds. But moving on to our next topic, um, you said, or you asked, inquired, who do I believe or who do we believe would be the best second-round player since 2000? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're doing that list. All right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, yo, I was I was looking at some stuff on the internet. I didn't realize there's a lot of quality second-round players that – definitely achieved uh, accolades that you wouldn't expect, you know, to be, to have like, you know, like they had like Ginobili, they had, I, I this one made me think about it, Ginobili, they were, they were honoring Ginobili, um, the fact that, you can say he was a um, a three-time champion, he was um, six man of the year, no, six man of the year, actually I think Ginobili got more than three rings, because um, Tim got five, I think he's got four yeah, actually yeah, um, but either way, he had an all-star appearance. He had a bunch of stuff that I was like, golly, like, yo, this cat was really, like, and, and when you saw Ginobili, he's honestly, you think about it, he's like the first cat that brought the Euro, like, that really kind of made it consistent, you know, to the game. So he brought a lot to the table, and you got to figure, he was he was drafted 57th, you know what I mean? So, in 99, yeah, in 99, when was he drafted? 99? Uh, oh, yeah, 99, so it's right. not 2000, but I mean, that, that, you know. I mean, it, the reason why I went and did my research is because you said 2000, and I remember Ginobili was in the 99 draft. So I was like, okay, you're making this a challenge question. So let's remove Ginobili yeah. from the equation. Ginobili, yes. So got you. But, let's just go ahead and right. state facts. As far Absolutely. as NBA history goes in the modern second round, where the second round is now essentially the last round, because remember, the NBA draft used to have as many as like six, seven rounds. So when they yeah, when yeah. they truncated it to two, they legitimately shut down, you know, the whole idea that you could just play basketball in the United States and get a contract. Now it's the 60 best players that we think are available are getting drafted, and that's that. And you have to work your way through all the other backdoor channels to get yourself into the NBA. Ginobili is hands down my pick as probably the best second-round draft pick in NBA history based on that modern history. But if you exclude him and go to the drafts going forward from 2000, up until now, my pick was actually Marc Gasol. Mm. Marc Gasol was See. drafted 48th by the Lakers, defensive player of the year, is now an NBA champion, averaged something like 18 and 7 for his career or 16 and 7. And, mm-hmm. and he was the number one guy on his team for his prime. That's what separated me or allow me to separate him 
from all of the other great second-round draft picks that I took note of, like Draymond, who's a three-time 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 NBA champion. Yeah, yeah. Millsap, mm-hmm. who who was my second pick. Kyle Korver was a fifty-first pick. Now, in the new modern era, you've got Chris Middleton, who's probably the most well-paid second-round pick in NBA draft history. Right, 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 right. Jeez. And then you got Nikola, who just got his he just got his check. He was a second-round draft pick. So those guys who they're still active, I didn't want to consider them because I feel like they still have a lot of a lot of pain to put in on their resume before you evaluate them. Mm-hmm. I hunkered it down to Gasol. I kept Draymond in there because I mean, once you win an NBA championship, you move into a different pedigree, especially if you were a, 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 um, a full-time important part of that roster. And he definitely was. He's the engine behind Golden State when it comes to the functionality of their play system. So I definitely give him his credit. But I don't feel like his numbers and his offensive game are better than either Millsap or Gasol's as far as his ability to score and be a threat on the court as a scoring threat. I think the fact that, what, he won one defensive play of the year and Mark already got one. So that mm-hmm. kind of evens that out. And then Mark has a championship now on a team that he started for. So I feel like his... His, his career has come full circle as a second-round draft pick, and he's also, besides Paul Millsap, the only guy in that list to be the guy. Like, he's number one on the coach's chalkboard. Like, yo, we got to do this to stop Gasol. I've never seen a game plan or heard about a game plan where they say, well, this is what we're going to do to take Draymond out. If it, if it was to take Draymond No, no, of course not. No, no, no. See, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm, leave him open. At all costs. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. shout out to, um, I don't know if you watch it, but B-Ball Breakdown, he's probably one of the best um, basketball analysts out there. He has this thing called the SAG Draymond defense, the SAG off Draymond. And every time you he shows them, you know, other teams playing Golden State, you see them consciously leaving Draymond open to take away all the that Golden State runs. Like, you know what? We ain't going to let Clay curl 35 times to the basket or come off of this pin down. We'll double that to give Draymond an open three and make him figure out what he's going to do. And for the most part, it's very effective. So the Draymond sag is a real thing, and I think a player who can be, and that's another thing, Paul Gasol, I mean, Mark Gasol, he expanded his game. He adjusted with the time. He used to be a bully ball, put me on the block, mid-range jumper at the max center. Now, mm-hmm. now you can run a, a pick and fade off of him. He still gives you quality defense. He gave Embiid fits. Mm-hmm. No, nah, that's nah, seriously. So I, I feel like, you know, he's my solid pick for the best second rounder since 2000. See, I actually, I went a different way. And those those are definitely players that um, I thought about Gasol the mo- the, definitely and Millsap. You know what I mean? Like Draymond, he has a lot of accolades. But see, I went I went to players like, I went to Gilbert Arenas as my number one. Because wow. Gilbert got Gilbert went Gilbert, <laughs> Gilbert got drafted in two thousand one, and I honestly there's a there's there's a there's a strong possibility that he was the best player that came out of that draft. Oh, that's you not know, even a debate. 2000, the two thousand one draft is is, is just terrible. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a cluster. It's, that's what I'm saying. So that's why I looked at it. And plus, me me being in the DMV area and seeing Gilbert play in person, it's like yo. During that time frame, yo, Gilbert was arguably the best player during his when he got his little run of maybe like a two year run of like 
what was it, like 2000. You're talking Hibachi era. You're talking yes, about Hibachi era. Which, which when he was giving Kobe 60, like this, I, to me, he had it on fire. And I was looking at it like, yo, I was looking at the second round draft picks, not just with the accolades, but a person that I was like, yo, who made you always reminded you, like, yo, really? This dude was drafted second? Like, you serious? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And then my other, my last pick, my other person that I was going with, like I said, I was still thinking about more scoring. And I was thinking about Lou Williams, who don't look like I got to double check what, what year you, Lou was drafted. Because I thought you, Lou Williams drafted in, he might have been drafted in 99 also, but I got to double check because, um, you know, this, this cat seemed like he'd been in the league forever. Oh, let me double, let me check real quick. He has not been in the league oh, no 19. No, 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 no. He's been, oh, been in the league 2005. He's like 2003. 2005. 2005. Yeah. He came out of Gwinnett High School, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was drafted 45. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's no Lou Williams is definitely worthy of, of being mentioned there. Well, because but again, yeah, I know, I know what you you went. To, I mean, I understand your picks. I was, just, I was thinking of a different pick of like, yo, who, who's getting buckets like crazy? You know what I mean? And I just used my two picks with two picks that will give you so many problems as a defensive side that it was like. Yo, these cats during their time from a short window for Gilbert because of you know injuries, injuries and injuries and, the and, gun other, thing. and other yeah other issues. And then he just basically said he didn't want to come back. He he actually admitted in in post interviews that he felt good enough to play. He just don't want to. Yeah, no, no. Like the well, NBA turned him off. So again, yeah. I think about the totality of his career and the fact that his prime was so abbreviated in that window. Like you said, he was you know unaffordable, but he was also a frequent, frequent smeller of LeBron James' armpits during that time, because he yeah. got under the wing. Yeah, that yeah, Wizards yeah. team was under the was under the Cavs' wing, like something terrible. Like it almost became cringeworthy when you knew that the Washington Wizards and the Cleveland Cavaliers was going to play. I mean, the whole Deshaun Stevenson thing, yeah. the fact that Anton Jameson would you know disappear at any yep. moment. Then what? Their starting five was what Brendan Haywood, like. Yeah, Hibachi had to do a lot of heavy lifting, so I mm-hmm. give him his credit. And he clearly, after that night, he hey, put sixty on Kobe. About, yo, he get, he got Antoine Jameson and Karan Butler all star appearances. Yeah, you know what I mean. So shout out to Tough Juice though, because Tough Juice was legit. He was always legit to me. If you nah, played, nah, of course, yeah, yeah. In that era, if you was a UConn three, and maybe one day we'll explore that because that's that's definitely a um a blog topic or podcast topic I want to get into is what. Schools produce players at the best positions, and I think UConn is top five in producing, or was back when Jim Calhoun was the coach. They were top five in producing guards and small forwards. Like oh, easily, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we could definitely do that in the future. Yeah, so that's definitely something that I want to touch on. Um, I definitely did think about um, Gilbert Arenas as being one of the best second round players, but like I said, his truncated career kind of allowed me to, you know, just push him to the side. Lou Williams, I'm not going to lie, I absolutely totally forgot about the fact. And it's funny because I recently watched a story on him, you know, how AI shepherded him. I think it's on on, on the um, NBA TV channel, how, you know, he learned under the wing of, of Allen Iverson and then he developed into the player that he became. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think what he did is admirable, but I think that he's always done it on such a small stage as far as like how far he's been able to showcase his talent. It may not necessarily give him the pull that a guy like 
I mean, come on. Marcus Saul led a team that beat the Spurs fresh off a championship. No, no, no. I'm not getting You know what I mean? Walked them right out the first round with Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker on the court. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from Gasol because when you said it, I was like, that's, that's, you know, I understand why you said what you said. I just went in a different direction because I was like. I mean, but as far as getting buckets, your list is valid, super valid. Like, I'll take nothing from, like, if you told me, like, you got to draft somebody in the second round and they have to be that guy, I'm going to probably take Hibachi. I'm going to say, give me healthy Hibachi and I'll figure the rest out. No debate. Yeah. No debating. And if somebody, and if there's two of us drafting against each other and that person takes Hibachi, then yeah, I'm going to take Lou Williams because Lou Williams is unguardable. Yeah. He's unguardable. I mean, I've seen the guy shoot one-handed fadeaway threes at six foot one for game. That's what I'm saying. That's, what I, that's why I was looking in that direction because I'm like, yo, this cat is six one and he gets, yo, he, he honestly looked like the same age he was when he first got drafted. Facts. Like, you know what I'm saying? And in the fact that he gets so many buckets, but he don't, he don't necessarily, he don't have no crazy handle. He it's just like he just knows how to score. Like it, and you give him a fraction of an inch space, he's going to score. He's going to score from floaters and the turnaround post joints. And then he got the nerve sometimes to try to put people in the post, like well, with the little turnaround jump. Oh yeah, like, wait, what, you, you know what I mean? So like I said, just his knack for scoring to me, top five like said, I, game in the NBA, um, top twenty mid range game. Uh, top 15 off the bounce going to the right hand. Um, yeah. There's a lot of different facets of the game as a scorer where Lou Williams is just flat out elite. So I don't want to discredit him at anything. As a matter of fact, I'm a fan of him. Like, I enjoyed what he was doing to Golden State thoroughly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thoroughly. Yeah, he, was, he was giving him so much problems. I was like, yo, he, he's going to make people think the Clippers got a shot. He re-exposed, you know, the fact that if you spend – all of your defensive energy, meaning the Warriors, are trying to hide Steph Curry, you're going to wind up exposing him. And, and yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. wound up happening because he was targeted on those switches and the boy was cooking. Lou Williams was and that's cooking. And that's why I tip my hat to Doc Rivers because he, he, kept, he kept going to that. You know what I mean? He kept going to that until, like, obviously, you know, they, they play Golden State's players are just um, Start tremendous – yeah, they start doing. They start switching it up too. Once they make the adjustments too, but Doc was able to to showcase and and Lou could get his numbers off. Because remember, Lou Lou was playing starters minutes, even though he was yeah six he was man, playing thirty one to thirty thirty yeah he was playing thirty one minutes plus per game as their six man. Which on that roster, no matter which version of the Clippers roster you want to look at last year, it was always warranted that he he deserved that playing time. But, yeah, because yeah. again, you got a guy like Beverly, who yeah, he's a great point guard. He's a great person to have on the court, but as far as shot creation, you know, no, he's not. You're not gonna five, four, three, two, one. Patrick Beverly, like, nah. I mean, if you're doing that, mm-hmm. your team is doomed. So, and that's no discredit to, to Patrick Beverly and the great player that he is. It's just you know, there's a difference. There's levels. I mean, his his role is defense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he knows his role and he does that extremely well. You know, which is weird. He's never been a defensive player of the year or. I don't even think he's got an all-defense first team or nothing like that. Because he'll never we'll be look- favored amongst the people who would vote for him because of the dirty stuff that he's done. I mean, this is the guy who, this is the guy who probably has about three or four top-tier point guards meniscus hanging on his wall. He did it to Westbrook. A lot of people forget that, like, Paul, you know, Patrick Beverly is a big part of the, the OKC derailment. Because, remember, injuries took them out of two separate years. Kevin Durant yeah. busted his foot, and then Westbrook hurt his knee 
against yep. Beverly, and that was like two playoff se- series in a row after exactly. after Harden was gone. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And then when they finally did Absolutely. get healthy, they lose three to one. They they lose a three to one lead to Golden State, and you know that whole situation imploded. So yeah, I mean, I stand by my pick. I think I think I think that if we put a roster together of second round players, like we could do it right now. Like honestly, if we did a second round draft and you had to put a five together, I would put Mark at the five. I'd probably put Millsap at the four. I like shooting, so I'll take a young Kyle Corver at the three. Mm-hmm. And then give me Hibachi and Lou Williams. I don't even care that they're undersized. I mean obviously Ginobili is gonna be there. So Yeah, yeah. But that like you said, but we said since two thousand, so and then if you want to add current era players who are still playing we could have Nicola come off the bench as the backup five and Middleton be the backup three. Like, that's an NBA roster. That's a legit NBA roster that's going to give a lot of teams problems. So the second, round, the second round is definitely, is definitely a crapshoot, but there are a lot of teams or GMs, a lot of gems. That, lot that of have gems found those there. gems, polished them off, and really reaped the benefits. The funny thing about a second round, a second round draftee is that they come up for their big contract before a first rounder does. Cause I think the max you can yep. put them on is a two year deal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of dope sometimes to be drafted as a second round player. You might take a loss in your first two series, but if you ball out of control, when it's time to get yeah. that extension, them teams be scratching their head. They probably going to trade you cause they're not ready. Well, that's what happened with Gilbert. And he, he remember he started in golden state. Yeah. And then he signed up. He signed with Washington because he had, you know, that's what yeah, he took that he money. Had to do it because it, it took, I could, hey, get that bag. And then he got the yeah. bag in Washington and then re up for another bag while on the bag contract. So, you were. so Gilbert really, he, you know what? He's like the ideal best case scenario as far as what can happen for you financially, not physically, but financially as an NBA player getting drafted in the second round. Because what happened to Draymond is like the opposite story. You know, he got signed, started to lose weight, developed on the Mark Jackson, really showed his medal that first year, you know, under Kerr. And he was already mm-hmm. re-upped. Yep. Now he's due for an extension at the end of this year. And he's the most likely guy to get traded on that team. Absolutely. Him or D'Angelo Russell. So um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're going to go ahead and move forward with the next topic. I actually don't know what the next topic is. So I'm going to count on you, brother, to pick one. And we just go for the fences because I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Okay. So, yeah, I thought, I, see, I thought we, was talk, we were going to talk about how the uh, – the team USA are they doomed for a uh, a major letdown because their roster is a lot of people that uh, was, you know the, it's not even your A B and C choice it's more like um, Q R S you know what I'm saying like oh you he ain't available oh shit, well, damn all right let me go get my man oh yeah my man ain't available all right well let me go get now he ain't damn they like yo just pick somebody off the street you know what I mean so. Who, think, who is on that team USA roster? Can you read it off to me if, if you happen to have it? Um, what they're gonna make they're gonna make cuts, but this is like I think it's like seventeen right now. I think they're gonna cut it down to fifteen. Or okay, like I that. pulled it up. But they got they got this dude named Bam from from Miami. Um, oh, how to buy Bam? Yeah. Then they got Harrison Barnes. They got Jalen Brown, Drummond. Andre Drummond, Montrez. Kuzma, uh, Mar- yeah, Montrez Lopez. Kyle Lowry, who probably won't go because I think he just had surgery uh, on his hand. Chris Middleton, Donovan Mitchell, Mason Plumley, Julius Randle, Marcus Smart, Tatum, P.J. Tucker, Miles Turner, Kimba, and Thaddeus Young. Okay, so you're going to probably start Kimba at your one. 
You would have to, yeah, you have to. I don't because honestly, honestly, when I start looking at their guards, their point guards, they they don't have everybody else left. Well, Donovan is a he's he can play. He's a shooting guard though. He is. I mean, but in the international game, in the international game, yeah, where nobody is testing your handle. You know, you're going to get that one random point guard who's frisky to get a contract with an NBA team who's going to, you know, like, try to yeah, do... Yeah, pressure 94. Yeah, do 94. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about. Like, we... Yeah. It's funny like Pablo when... Pablo Prigioni, yeah. remember the dude from the Knicks? <laughs> yeah, that's all he could do. He, could, he used to get a couple steals, though, yeah. but that's all he was. He was like, y'all, yeah, a pest, like a little gnat, yeah. mosquito or something. I'm sorry, but P.J. Tucker has no business on an international team roster. I mean, you need you need locker room, you know, the defense. Somebody well, he's that, there. He's there for the. He's there for the for the hustle. Yeah, you know, he's there for the grit and grind. I get all that, but when you put him on the floor in the international game, okay, yeah. Do you think people are really gonna leave the one guy who's deadly from two spots on the court open with a shorter three point? Because he's deadly yeah. from the corners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is he gonna get corner threes? The only reason why Melo shot so good when he played for the international team is because he was the one guy everybody was like, uh, we'll see. And he burned him every year he did it. Yeah, and plus, like you said, with that shorter line, those are Melo's two-pointers anyway. Yeah, those are the long twos that he would take in, 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 in the Knicks uniform and every other uniform that he played in that the, the, you know, the fans would scratch their heads about. Career. Yeah. <laughs> his whole career. Melo, Melo, yeah, that's, I mean, we got, that's a topic for another day, but Melo is... Uh, as, as nice as he was, I felt like his game never evolved. Like he, but he was stupid nice for what he could do. But his college game to me was the same as his his pro game. I and think like, Melo was the definition of United States AAU basketball at its finest, and how we develop players versus how the rest of the world figured out how to develop players. Melo's game is built so heavily on isolation and that era that he transitioned out of as a basketball player. The whole Give it to Jordan on the on, on the elbow. Give it to Kobe. Mm-hmm. Watch him go to work. You know you're gonna get the ball and you're gonna be able to do your 17 jab steps and then make a move. Yeah. And nobody else on the court is gonna bother you and your defender. Like that era is so long gone. And like you exactly. said, his game didn't adjust. And you would think it should have, considering the natural skills that he has. Melo can shoot the ball when he's open. We, yeah. we watch him do it in, in in all the training videos. So it's just yes, it's, to his day, and it's just amazing that when you see it on the court, it never it's never translated on the NBA level. It translated in in in, in um the international game because, like you said, that shorter line is a shot that he's used to taking, and he was taking shots with like I'm I'm sorry, you could sample the air temperature, you could stick your finger in the air and get an idea how much condensation is in the gym and all that before he could, he he would shoot. He shot some of the most open threes I've ever seen in competitive basketball history when he played for Team USA. But going back to oh, this yeah, roster, yeah, without knowing what they're up against, I definitely feel like this team is capable of taking an embarrassing loss. Even with yeah. the coach that they have in place, who I think is what, Greg Popovich? Yeah, is it Pop? Yeah, probably. If, I think it is Pop. Yeah, they, Popovich they, they, is the they, head coach. Kerr is an assistant. Yeah. And Lloyd Pierce from the Hawks is the other assistant, along with Jay Wright from Villanova. He's a great coach. Former high school yeah. coach, another coach at Villanova. Um the Rockets trainer, and well, all these trainers are irrelevant, but yeah, 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 yeah. So I know what you mean, though. But they, um, and they got like I said, the thing about a lot of players was saying that it's the the uh, the fever cup world cup starts too close to the, to the training camp for the season, so that's why a lot of guys didn't want to do it. 
because um, they, they don't start their they start their scrimmages like in August, you know, actually in a couple of weeks, I think. I think the problem here is that they've got an established guard of people who put together these rosters. And I think that not to say that they've run their course, but I think they are aware of when it's time to make the big name show up. So I don't think the pressure mm-hmm. was properly put on the players that were invited to make them aware that this was, you know, to be made to be important. I do like, I do like the players that are there on that team. I just don't know if they're necessarily ready. I mean, this might be the opportunity for us to get an idea of how good Jalen and um Tatum and Tatum are gonna be. This might be the perfect opportunity because you're gonna see them playing against some of the best international talent available because you gotta be real. These con- these countries, they're gonna send out the best ten dogs they can. Yeah, of course. No matter what competition go- is, it might be it might be the international basketball tournament of Frosted Flakes. When it comes to playing for your country and all these other countries besides the United States, those players are given. They're coming. So we're not because they want to show up the US. They're like, yo, we could be the team that shows up to the US. And plus they know if the US doesn't send their best available roster, there's a chance to legitimately win. And the bigger you win mm-hmm. on the international stage, the better it plays out for you as a player. Because yeah, you might not get an NBA look, but now Real Madrid is ready to throw me two million, which you know, in European mm-hmm. in the European world, like that's a big deal. You know, absolutely. You yeah, know, of course, you 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 said you know, a lot get, right you, there. And plus, you get a million in China. You know what I'm saying? And you're you're, you're balling out of control, mm-hmm. like Stephon Marbury. So mm-hmm. I yep, I, yep. I and, get it, but yeah. Um, and I think the Fever Cup is not the same as the Olympics at all. You know, so so when guys hear that, they be like, "Oh, I don't want to be the dude that Fever." You know what I mean? Because I don't even know who our Fever World Champions. I mean, maybe Dream Team Two. But those cats get overlooked so much, you know, for the Fever World Cup that people will be like, I'm good. You know what I mean? I think that's a lot of cats like, yo, call me when it's the Olympics, dog. I'll okay, so here's the reality. The first round of the Fever Cup starts August 31st. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, those are the first games. And uh, USA is opening up against... CZE. I want to say that's Czechoslovakia, but I mean Czech, Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Czech Republic. So I don't know who's on the Czech Republic roster, but you know Czech mm-hmm. Republic is is they produce quality NBA talent, NBA level talent, people who can play on on that on that level. So I don't think that it's going to be a cakewalk tournament for them based on the roster that they've assembled at all. That's what I mean, exactly. So and we'll we'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, like I said, only time will tell with this team because, like I said, I, I, I mean, from looking at this team, I don't see any. Sadoransky from the Wizards is on the Czech Republic team. See, yeah, and you're going to have those random – but Sadoransky is a good player. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. He's a solid player. And that's the thing. Some of these guys might not necessarily be stars in the NBA, but when they come in this um, this receiver games, these international rules, that's where they step up the most. You know, so. remember that year they had uh, Team USA. What did we try out? We tried out like Melo, Amari Stoudemire, Allen Iverson, or whatever. And they played. Oh, that was two thousand four, I think, and, in Athens. I think right, Greece. and they played against the Greek team, and they had some Greek guy who we all thought was going to wind up being in the NBA. He was big. It was like calling him the Greek mm-hmm. Shaq, and he was giving that USA team fits. He yeah. never crossed the Atlantic Ocean. 
Nope. But during that run, he was everything the United States didn't want to have to deal with. So I, I, exactly. I always find that that paradigm and the quality of what looks good in one stage won't work out on another. Also, the um, real quick segue. Don't you think it's kind of funny that Nikola Mirachik took less money to go back to Europe? What does that say about the NBA game that, or is that a reflection of the NBA game? Or is that just a guy really being homesick? I mean, listen, the dude Joe got wired shut by uh, Bobby Porter, so he might have been like, "Look, I don't want, I don't want to have to go." What that happened a year yeah. ago. You think, you think, you think he became like the locker room punk? So you know, everywhere he go, he might try to give somebody advice. They'd be like, "Yo, shut up, man, Bobby Portis. You still smell like Bobby Portis knuckles every time you talk." <laughs> Yo, you, you never know. Even, even that, or he wasn't getting the amount that he thought nah, he was he gonna was get. Again. He's got two mil a year to go back to play for like Real Madrid. No, but what I'm saying is that he might have wanted like 15 from the NBA, and it was like, nah, okay. you're only going to get eight. Yeah, or yeah, he like, might be nah, in that, that to 11 million dollar range. I get That's it. That's what I'm saying. So he might have been like, yo, forget this. You know what? Nah, it's not even worth it. Let me just go back to my crib and get paid and still be the highest paid player at the crib. And be a star. You know? Exactly. And don't have to worry about no black dudes punching me in the face. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Because, yeah, because that's, that's crazy to me. But like I said, some. Some dudes, you know, you said they don't want to. They 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 get. It's about egos too, man. You are. Uh, you tell somebody, yo, you, yeah, you're not worth fifteen million dollars or whatever the number was that he didn't that he was expecting and he didn't get. And he'd be like, well, I'm in another country. My family's at, back home. I go back home and be the highest paid player back home, or I could be. I can get paid what I, not what I think I'm worth. So I'm gonna go back home. Or and, and, or I made enough money as a United States based basketball player that I don't need much more than what I'm going to get. So I'm content with what I've done here. It could be that too. But I think, I think it's a combination of, of all those factors all in one. Like his experience as a basketball player in the United States, it wasn't optimal, you know? Yeah. And then everywhere he got traded outside of did, – did he play for the Bucks last year? Was it the Bucks yeah, that he first yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got to the Eastern yeah, Conference Finals, and he was still really only a French player. I mean, he got like, you know, mm-hmm. six to seven, eight man minutes. But like every moment that mattered in that Toronto series, he wasn't on the floor. So mm. so that might that might have played a role. Like some guys, it really does matter when they get to play. It's not how much they play, but when they get to play. And maybe he feels like, you know, I'm a clutch, a clutch player. Like I don't have these skills to not be on the floor during that time. So, I, you know, best of the wishes to him. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully, you know, that footage because there was no footage of it. Hopefully, he's not getting punked when he goes over there, because I think things like that don't leave you. Yeah, yeah. And and from what I hear, the, the trash talking that they do in Europe is way more brutal than the United States. Yeah. So, so I can imagine... I can imagine one of his... You know, one, one of the teams he's playing against, the players start heckling him, and he's going to hear some stuff. So... Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I said, you know, I'd rather be an American scrub for six, seven mil a year. Put that four, send it away, whatever I got to, and, and live off the two that I would have got playing for Real Madrid. I don't know. That's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, who knows how he is? You know what I mean? You just don't know how, what his mentality was. I hope for his you sake know? that wherever he, whatever he winds up doing, he wins championships and gets an MVP or something to validate him making that decision. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
I think what else we had? We had something else. Uh, we had like the five. What was the five toughest coaching situations in the NBA? Yeah, definitely want to definitely want to touch on that, and that'll be how we probably the last yeah, one. We gonna wrap yeah. up this bad boy with that because we usually get get four topics done. Mm-hmm. Okay, starting with the team that we started with, Portland's got a tough situation. Stotts yeah, got extended t- last year. They just resigned CJ. Their window yeah. is quote unquote open for what? I don't know. Because we've already discussed, you know, their projection is really hard to slot where they're gonna be and where they're gonna land come playoff time. But the expectations with all the things that you put in place, that Portland Tra- Trailblazer fan base, you just they just got to go to the East the Western Conference Finals last year. Y'all do anything less than that, it's a letdown. That's human nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't think you Absolutely. could realistically be a fan of your collective team, watch them get one step away from the finals, and then the next year they go to the second round. You'd be like, oh, well, that was the best we could do. Like, the fans don't work that way. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. I think Stotts has got a tough situation to navigate. You know what I'm saying? Because there's not a lot of room for him to look good in that situation beyond, you know, getting to yeah. the finals. So I think I think that puts him in a tough place. Um, mm-hmm. Next is um, and that could be like because he he was he was definitely like if I had to use like of the five that had the you know that was like lukewarm not the seat ain't the seat ain't fire but it's it's warming up a little bit you know what I mean it's, it's warming the room temperature. I mean honestly I thought um, your man from Philadelphia Brett Brown. Oh yeah. He's I think he's be- definitely upper echelon hot seat. He's got to yeah, figure yeah. out how to make a whole. And this is the thing: he's got. I actually like Brett Brown as coach, to be honest with you, because anybody who can find a way to keep Ben Simmons on the floor and give him confidence deserves some credit as a coach, because he took oh, wow. that leap with Ben Simmons. People were like, "Oh, he's a power forward who can handle the ball." He said, "No, nah, this is my point guard," and he exactly. and he handed over the keys, and Ben Simmons validated that that decision. So I definitely see Brett Brown having the vision and, and, and the understanding of working with rosters to – because remember, they were really only – they were a miracle humble away from the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's not really mm-hmm. much you can take from Brett Brown as a coach to say, oh, well, he got outcoached all the – nah, man, you got outhumbled by arguably the NBA's best player last year. So, yeah, but now yeah, with that a roster, very lucky shot. now with that roster that they have now with that perception that they're loaded and that – it's expected that they're going to go to the playoffs, and they were already what the, the, the third team, third seed last year. So they're going to be expected to be a top two seed and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that puts them in a tough position as a coach for him to have to navigate that. I definitely agree that he's high up there. Um, yeah, because you guys also think about it like this: with that amount of money invested in the plays, if it's not getting done, you're easy to get rid of. We could pay you pay your salary out, whatever it is. Um, and it's a wrap for you. We could throw somebody else in there because they're, they're locked into the players. The starting five that they had, those guys are all locked in for at least three years. You know what I mean? And they're going to be hard to move depending on if you're trying to keep Embiid and Simmons as your cornerstones. The other three are extremely going to be hard to move for those contracts, those sides of those contracts. So, like I said, he's got – yeah, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't produce this season, they got to finish top two seed. And they got to go Eastern Conference Finals for him to keep his job. I think if they don't, if you go top, I mean, if you go, you know, top four seed, 
Eastern Conference Finals, I think he'll still keep his job. But if let alone let him let him finish at the fourth seat and they get bumped in the, the first round, you know what I mean, or second round, he's out. Like don't even come back to the locker room. You're done. We'll, 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 if they're not a know. top four team, if if it looks like they're not going to finish in the top four, he won't finish the season. Well, that's what I'm saying. It depends on how bad they if they look. Early in the season, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, you're right. If if they're top, but there's some coaches. Like... There's some coaches who their teams are allowed to underperform in the regular season. Tyron Lue had the biggest leech in the NBA with LeBron. Of course, that's, yeah. Because they, course. I don't, I don't think a single year that LeBron was back in Cleveland, they had either the best record in the league or the best record in the conference. They definitely never had home court advantage in all those final trips because Golden State was winning sixty plus games every trip out until that last no, year. Of course. So. There are some coaches who, because they're championship caliber, that their regular season record won't be held against them. Brett Brown, I don't think that's going to be the case because Philly is one of the hardest markets, period. Their fans mm-hmm. care about everything. Of course, yeah. And that, now, now, of course, and now you're starting to see the owners a lot more being more visual, more being more accessible. You know, they start to hang out the rappers now. They start to hang out, become celebrities. Mm-hmm. Them cats is not going to appreciate you losing games, dog. So, yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean... And remember, yeah, more home games you have, the more money you can recoup. And Philadelphia has to be looking to turn a profit after all the money that they've spent. I mean, they committed, they committed like half a billion dollars. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, I did. That merchandise, they got just... Yeah, they got a lot to work on. So, I mean, that's definitely those two coaches for sure. Um, then I had... I was thinking, go ahead. Who you had? Go, no, go, go ahead. I had, it might be the same thing. Go I had Kenny Atkinson the coach of the Nets. I have him on the mm. hot seat. Mm. See, I see, I kind of, I had him, I was thinking him, well, yeah, because yeah, he was kind of like five or six. So, I, I just thought his, he was going to give a little bit more leeway, like, next season, if they're like, let's say, two and eight, or like, you know what I mean, like three and ten, or something, then I felt like he was going to, it's going to be a wrap for him. Let me tell but you I felt, why I feel like he's on the hot seat. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm one of those people who, and I probably do it a little bit too much, but I read into what's said and not said by players when they make their Mm -hmm. off-season decisions about where they're going to play. And you have two of arguably the top ten players in the league. Neither one of them said they came to Brooklyn because of the coach. They said, I like the coach, but they said, I'm coming to Brooklyn for the culture. Culture is something that exists with or without the coach. That's true. And... Again, you have two guys who have a total of, what, three rings between them? How hard is it for them to go to a GM like Sean Marks who bent over backwards to make it available for those guys to be there and say, yo, we need a coach that, you know, got a, a chip on his resume to, to finish this out? How, yeah. how long can Sean Marks hold out just because Kenny Atkinson was a great guy with low-maintenance players who, you know, turned them into – a passable NBA roster by giving D'Angelo Russell a green light and, you know, getting to the playoffs. I don't know how that sells in the ready-to-win-now mode. And Kyrie is moody. Kyrie, Kyrie and Brad Stevens couldn't get along. So, yeah, you know, you got another short white guy who, who, who coaches defense <laughs> telling Kyrie what to mm. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and that, there's no shit. Kevin Gard. There's not going to be no Kevin Durant. Even if he's physically there, you know, physically there but not able to play, he's not going to be able to stem that tide, bro. 
Kyrie turned mm-hmm. a whole entire city. So Kevin Durant is not going to be enough to, to, to be a, a buoy between that. And I don't know if he's enough of that, a Kenny Atkinson fan to protect him if they have a really rough season. It might be the season of Atkinson, he gets fired. They bring in the coach they really wanted the whole time. And then we get to see Brooklyn, you know, move forward. Absolutely. And who was your next pick? Uh, my next pick was um, yeah, bef- well, between your late between your Lakers and uh, the Rockets, Dan and Tony, obviously. I think yeah, that was the finishing out for my list. Okay, so we could go to the Lakers pick first, then, then, and then the extreme, the hottest seat would be Dan and Tony, because they already told you we ain't renewing you until we see something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I like, think so. Pick, take your pick. I think Mike Dan Tony is honestly the most dangerous coach in the NBA. Because he can either take what's given to him and turn it into gold, or he can send out a troll the NBA offense and show he absolutely don't care what anybody think about anything. And when you got a guy who's in a situation, like you just pointed out, he's essentially a lame duck coach. Mm-hmm. And he's got to deal with another high-maintenance point guard. Yeah. Along with a high-maintenance shooting guard who he basically mm-hmm. curtailed his whole entire system for. That is not seven seconds or less that they play. That is, oh. more, like, <laughs> that is more like 21 seconds or more that they play. Exactly. Yeah. So to see that transition, everybody says, and people don't give D'Antoni credit because D'Antoni is one of my favorite coaches, honestly. Because he's a player's coach and because he gives them a simplified system to work with, with options that all make sense if you have any type of basketball IQ. If you play for D'Antoni, you don't have to be the smartest guy on the court to be very effective. And I've always given him credit for that. Because, I mean, let's go down the list of guys that he got paid. He got Joe Johnson paid. Mm-hmm. He got Sean Marion paid. He got Sean Marion paid. He got Amari Stoudemire paid twice in two different cities. Yeah. He got Jeremy Lin paid. Mm, dang. He got James Harden. Right. He got James Harden paid, paid. Yeah, like fifty million dollars at the end of the end of your career, paid. Yeah. He got Chris Paul paid. Yeah. So what? Okay. Nah, he's never been to the finals. Fine. There's a lot of great coaches who don't wind up having that. Get to the top of the mountain. I mean, come on. Tyron Lue has an NBA championship as a coach. Who ever saw that? This is the same guy who we're still wondering if he can smell what Allen Iverson's sneaker smells like from getting stepped over. For real. So, again, coaching is weird. Because, I mean, did you ever, while watching the Bulls, think, oh, Steve Kerr is definitely going to be a championship-winning coach? No. Nobody thought that. And then when he first took his first front office job, he was a general manager for the Suns. He wasn't even coaching. So, yeah, he wasn't. So for him to go from the front office control and player personnel to the front lines and do what he did, that was unexpected. And I think coaching, but Mike D'Antoni, you could chalk it up. You're going to get 55 wins. Your offense is going to be top 10, 15 rated. Maybe not top 15 efficient, but it's going to be top 15 rated. He knows how to score. Mm -hmm. And if you put the right support staff around him, you have a chance to win. So I think he's a great coach, but I do think that, you know, like they took every chemical they could make and put it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a beaker and they're just waiting to see what happens when you put it on the stove. 
and D'Antoni got to be the one in the room. Everybody else gets to walk out. So if it blows up, mm-hmm. he's the only one who's going to suffer the consequences. Yeah, because let, let them go on. Listen, his leash might be so short. They're going on a three-game losing streak. He might be out. Let, let, him see, let him start the season 0-3. Let him say the wrong thing at the right time at any point in this season. No, it's a wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah of course. But I'm just saying, let them, lo- let them lose to, like, Phoenix, uh, the Knicks, and, like, Cleveland. Back to back to back? A- yeah, they, he's out of here. He's out of here. Yeah, even two of the three, they might be done. When you lose to teams like that, Front office is always interpreted as the quote unquote players quit, which I find yeah, hilarious. That's what I'm saying. Which I find hilarious, but but will be hilarious if those are the first three games of the season. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, you got quit on them already, Golly. And mind you, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Houston crowd is savage. They'll show up with nooses. Yo, listen, man. They will show listen. up with nooses, and they'll turn because they've dealt with the quote unquote we're good enough to almost be in the finals for the past three mm-hmm. years, they had enough of that. They want to go. Yep, exactly. And they've yeah, been yeah. there before as fans. Yep. They know what a championship team is. They witnessed it. Of course. Back to back. So you can't really tell that fan base nothing. If they got that vibe, D'Antoni's going to be the first domino to fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. It, the domino's actually just falling right now. It's just nobody – it's just, you know, it's just a wrap. It's going to be a wrap for him. It's a wrap. He might even – listen – let the pre- preseason not go as best as they plan. They might be a wrap for him then. You know what I'm saying? So, now the next one, the Lexa last one, obviously, obviously, well, you said you was a Laker fan. I am so, a Laker fan. I'm just, I'm just, for all the listeners. Okay. To remind okay. you. <laughs> come on, man. I, I, I feel like, I feel like this is a punch that hasn't landed until the Lakers have a problem. So, I'm just waiting for it to actually connect. I feel what you're doing, though. It's cool. It's cool. I'm just, I'm just setting people up so they know. Like, listen, man. All right. There's no you're setup. Like, there's no setup for Knicks fans. There's no setup. Yeah, listen, uh, listen, man. We, we are the line in the sand been drawn for us. Yeah. When we do the we season are. preview, I'm gonna have my fun with the Knicks. But Frank Vogel. <laughs> Frank Vogel. <laughs> listen. What was, what was he like? The eighth choice. Eighth. <laughs> Frank Vogel was in the top eight. I don't even know. That's Yo, what I'm saying. I heard, that I heard, I heard. Okay, let me go through the candidates that I heard got shots at the Laker job. Either got called, contacted, or interviewed. Um, Tyron Lue. Yeah. Monty Williams. Yep. Spud Webb. <laughs> Spud Webb? Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead, Spud Webb. I heard they had Dominique on a short list, too. I heard, I heard they had uh, Byron Shaw. Brian Shaw, yeah. Brian Shaw, I said, they might have had him too. <laughs> yeah. I think, they, I, heard I think they asked Penny Hardaway if he would relinquish his coaching job in college to consider. I'm just making – I'm, I'm making They asked the up. Van Gundy Yeah, brothers. they definitely asked the Van Gundys. I'm just making this all up because, honestly, if Frank Vogel was in the top five – Yo. At no, first of all, Frank Vogel – no, Frank Vogel was the only one that agreed to, yo, your replacement's going to be sitting right next to you, and we're going to talk to him more than you. And don't feel no pressure. <laughs> exactly. Don't feel no pressure. This is your team, by the way. But we're going to bring to you, as an no, assistant this coach, is the a guy who tried to burn down two separate franchises at the same time. Exactly. 
No, this is the team and you just so happen to be the coach that we have right now. This is not your team. Don't ever think this is your team. This is the team that you so You are the coach. coach of the team. Exactly. Yeah, so so th- don't worry. He probably don't even have a parking spot yet. He probably got he probably parks in the general parking with the with the uh regular fans. He don't even get Nah, nah. He got he got a he got a parking spot. It's just in the maintenance garage. Exactly. Wow. He, he parked right next to the UPS. Now, truck imagine having to park your car in the garage when working in Los Angeles. Do you know how disrespectful that is? Mm-mm-mm. It they never rains told. in South Carolina, Southern California, but you got <laughs> you got to put your car in the shelter. Exactly. <laughs> you everybody else get the valet service. You can't get that. You got to park on the um, This is not your level, sir. This is not your floor. Yeah, you literally Mm-mm. are parking your car. Exactly, yo. It's a yo. I'm telling you. You get out the car. Listen. You throw that. You throw your keys at the valet. They throw them back at you hard, the back of your head. Exactly. Like, yo, what are you doing? Don't you ever insult me? <laughs> exactly, yo. But yeah, again, yeah. I, I, that situation, like as a Lakers fan and as a basketball realist, you look at it and you just say, "Yeah, this is a ticking time bomb. This is this is a detonation waiting to happen." Because let's just review the Jason Kidd history of him as a coach. He started off with the Nets, right? Yeah. He got into the right, most right after being a player. He got into one of the most ugly exchanges between coaches I've ever seen with the stuff that went down between him and Lawrence Frank. Oh yeah. He almost killed that man. Like that's the stories that have come out. Like he was ready to put hands, feet, and everything else that he didn't put on um, his wife. Oh, on Lawrence Frank. I, yeah. <laughs> Oh, we gonna bring that up too. Golly, Jason Kidd, I hope you ain't listening. I hope you are <laughs> listening because maybe, maybe the energy that I'm sending your way will remind you that you need to calm down and like not, not be listen. too light skinned. Don't be too light skinned this year. Yo, listen, you might you might have struck a nerve. He gonna show out. He gonna be like, listen, I'm on the West Coast now. Listen, but here's the thing: everything that he did is validated by what happened after. Look at where Lawrence Frank is now. Lawrence Frank is the GM who helped engineer this, the Los Angeles Clippers situation. Yep. He was always a Doc Rivers um, neophyte or understudy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think he was with him in Orlando Boston. and Boston. Orlando, yeah. Because remember, Lawrence Frank was the guy who brought Jason Kidd and the Nets to the finals after what their original coach left. Because they got back-to-back finals. And Lawrence Frank took over the second team that went to the finals. The first team mm-hmm. that went to the finals, they had a different coach. I don't remember who it was. That was By- Byron Scott. Oh, yeah, Byron Scott. Yeah. And I think he snaked him to get that. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. And then he goes to Milwaukee. But we're, wait, 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 wait. Before we get to that, Jason Kidd was like the first coach in the modern NBA to get himself traded. <laughs> he got traded to Milwaukee. Word. He got traded to Milwaukee. Then he goes to Milwaukee and, quote, unquote, develops those guys. And management doesn't feel like he developed those guys. And all of his, his, you know, like, personal tweaks and nuances pissed them off. And they were like, you know what, man? We're just going to cut our losses. This ain't a fit for us. You you can go. Exactly. Yeah, which is crazy. So he got the East Coast Mark Jackson this rag, honestly, to be real with you. Mark Jackson caught it off Golden State, the dish rag where, you know, you better go back to whatever job you had before this because you ain't going to get another job like this, period. That's what Mark mm. Jackson is dealing with. And Jason Kidd, 
I just think the Lakers knew they couldn't hire him outright as a head coach and get away with it. Yeah. But they respect what he brings as a coach and what he can help. And that's another thing. Like, I really don't understand, like, the logic. I feel like there's a pro-LeBron slash we hate LeBron movement inside that organization already existing. You got Phil Jackson, who's the ex-boyfriend of the owner. Mm-hmm. And he can't stand LeBron. This is Mr. LeBron and his posse. Yep. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine him somehow advocating putting together a roster that's going to help LeBron win a championship coming from Phil Jackson? Heck no. Right. Heck no. You got Kurt Rambis, who we've all validated his basketball like Nice guy. Nice guy. Yeah, but, but his basketball IQ like as a coach my team. or any type of front office is just a horrible track record. Listen, and his I wife never take his wife, who I think like she was like a former pro. What's that sport? Roller derby? Like she was like <laughs> something like that back when they were kids. And that's how she Crazy. became cool with Jeannie Bus. Like she's just the old homegirl, and all exactly. her advice was coming from her husband. Yeah, and I wouldn't take no advice from a man that plays basketball with his regular prescription glasses. Facts. Never. <laughs> you ain't even got no rec specs. And they never and they that. never broke. Word. Nah. And he was a goon. <laughs> Kurt Rambis got well, hit records out there. If you go on YouTube and type Kurt, Kurt Rambis versus Detroit Pistons, you're gonna see some stuff. Yeah, Kurt that's Rambis what I'm versus the, the the Celtics. Is that none of it involves actual basketball plays, but they're gonna be wearing basketball, you know uniforms and on the court exactly. but nothing Kurt Rambis did that I mean he has a couple of those random pass break dunks with Magic which is like I gotta pass it to you just finish the play white boy and Kurt Rambis yeah. came through but we all know his pedigree as an actual player and what, what he meant to the game listen he still wear them same glasses from, from 84 so <laughs> now he got the same glasses like really you ain't changing You like they look the same man come on babe. I'm not taking no advice from you I don't care I don't care if you 6'9 Mm-mm. And bro, like his coaching record for the Timberwolves, he was like twenty two and one eighty nine, like something horrendous. Yo, ridiculous! And how, why he got the nerve to be the Knicks coach at one point? Why uh, in term was it in term or did or, or did or did Phil really try to see that that further resonates with me how poisonous this whole Phil Jackson influence is because he's the cosign to bring Kurt Rambis back into the fold. Yeah, Kurt Rambis has Laker pedigree. But didn't nobody come to see you, Otis? For real. When, when, when you went off into retirementville or, you know, moving on from the leagueville, there was never – I mean, what, Kurt Rambis was an assistant on some of those Lakers teams. I, I forget that. Mm-hmm. He was definitely an assistant coach during the Kobe Shaq era. I had to, like, mentally play a few highlights back and realize, yo, that was his goofy ass standing on the sideline holding the clipboard, holding the clipboard upside down. Talk about let's run. A, <laughs> talk about let's run a full court press when it's an offensive timeout. Yeah, that that was mm-hmm. so. No, Rambis was the assistant coach for the Knicks. They let him go. They let him become yeah. the intern. The intern. The interim coach. Fisher. Yeah, but then they when Hornacek got hired, they let him go back to the assistant coach job. Nah, I'm good. Like, no, you're not going. You're not going to hire me, fire me, and then tell me, yo, go sit the bench again. Nah. I'm out. You know, you know what it is? You know what it is? And it's crazy to have to make this cross-cultural metaphor. But Kurt Rambis is the equivalent of what Jay-Z made 
You know what I'm talking about, right? He'll never be. He'll never be broke. <laughs> Memphis nah, Bleak. A, yes, nah, he is the strong. Memphis Bleak of NBA coaching. Nah, he's not. Nah. Yes, nah, he I is. Got... How has he stayed gainfully employed? The Phil Jackson connection. Nah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. He is the Memphis Bleak to Phil Jackson's Jay Z when it comes to NBA coaching. As long as I'm breathing, I'm going to get you a job somewhere. Somebody's going to pay you to be involved with basketball as long as I'm alive and breathing. And maybe it's the whole tall white guy with glasses and an angry mustache connection that, you know, gives them, like, some sort of brotherhood. I don't know. But, yeah, man. Lawrence Frank, like, he... I said Lawrence Frank. Frank Vogel. Yeah, he's... He's a bomb Yo, waiting to go off. Listen, listen. Why is he the coach? And we we done spent the last like ten minutes talk about his replacements and other people that gave him the job. Like, Frank all right. So Vogel. I'm gonna spend two and a half minutes speaking on Frank Vogel's coaching ballot. Frank Vogel coached multiple Indiana Pacers teams to the Eastern Conference Finals. He made those Eastern Conference Finals Pacers teams play very hard. They were top 10 in defense. They had a player who was coming into his own and going into possible superstardom status in Paul George. The cast that they had around him was decent to on par with pretty much every team other than the Cavaliers that they would lose to every year. Mm -hmm. But that roster and his configuration and what he did when he went to Indiana, I'm not Indiana, but when he went to Orlando is where I lost my ability to see him as being a top flight or becoming a top flight coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to further validate my point, he leaves Orlando and the coach that they got rid of in Charlotte takes him to the playoffs the following year. The same team. Essentially. Yep, Essentially much. the same team. They got rid of Ibaka. So that freed up a few front court minutes because Ibaka was basically on vacation in Orlando. He was not playing basketball. No, no, yeah, no. He was in Disneyland too much. Disney World too much. He, he, I don't know. He was he was living the best life without a, a care in the world about what his actual job was. Like, he was getting free money in Orlando. He started earning his check when he came to Toronto, which goes to say that, like, certain players only play when the motivation is correct. Maybe that was mm-hmm. what the situation was in Orlando. But, again, to go from a team like Indiana where you motivated a whole bunch of guys who – didn't have high basketball expectations, even including Paul George, to take them to Eastern Conference Finals heights, and then you take a team full of young guys who want to be good, and you can't even make them better. Yeah. There's not really much I could say. So I, I don't know where his coaching potential lies. Listen, let the Lakers go on one. He might be out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, Frank decided to be with his family. <laughs> Frank is sit, swimming in the river with them cement shoes after game one, baby. Oh, they're going to rap for Frank. You saying they're going to do him like they did like they did Stan? Yo. Stan Van Gundy got do. one of the worst dismissals as a head coach I've ever seen. Twice. Yo. Twice. He might. How they did him in Orlando was, was the sequel to how Pat <laughs> Riley did him in Miami, boy. Miami. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Frank. Listen, Frank is it's a rap. Yo. Let Frank start losing in the preseason with LeBron and AD. It's a wrap for him. First off, LeBron and AD ain't playing in no preseason games. I'm just saying. 
Let the let the Lakers first home game. They get beat. This is what I'm gonna tell you is gonna happen. I predict this. I predict this. This is my outlandish prediction for the Lakers. All right. So let me ask you this: Frank gets over or under thirty games. I think he's over thirty games, but some point at the thirty game mark. Because remember, the thirty game mark isn't the true cutoff. The true cutoff for coaches is right after that 30-some-odd game in between the 50th, 55th game right before the All-Star break. In that window, that's when all the teams start deciding, okay, we got to get ready to either tank or prepare ourselves to acquire assets to put us over the hump for a chance to compete. I think somewhere in that 30-some-odd to 50-some-odd game range is when DeMarcus Cousins is going to slap hellfire out of him. On national TV. TV, (laughs) Christmas. On national TV. On Christmas, that's what it is. And we all know, and we all know, you cannot coach LeBron James if the rest of the players think you a bitch. Exactly. It don't even matter how LeBron feel about you. It's a wrap. Once David Black got hold, the whole temperature changed on that Cleveland roster. Word. And he had the same record. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He actually coached them to a better record. They just happened to lose to a finals to a team where they fell apart. And now we don't even know where David Blatt is right now. He probably still collecting, you know, severance checks from Cleveland, refusing to coach. Of course. Yeah. Because I think they signed him to like a nice little five-year deal or something like that. Like he got a nice deal to leave Israel or wherever he was coaching to come play. I mean, to come coach the Cavaliers. Like they, they were, they were visionary bringing him over. Like, Oh, this is a European guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what? Their model got stolen by Toronto and Nick Nurse is an NBA mm. championship winning coach. Exactly. Well, he wasn't rocking it. He wasn't rocking it right. Well, actually, yeah. actually, Nick Nurse deserves even more credit because he coached in the G League. Word. And he was like a two-time G League championship to finish winning coach. So, yeah. Get hats off to him. But, yeah, now, nah, Vogel, like I said, I think if the What's your over-under on him? I think, I think... Let me say this. If he loses, if the, all right, if the NBA sets it up where the Clippers play the Lakers on Christmas Day, and it's got to be, and it's in Staples as the Lakers' home game. The Lakers is the home team, not the Clippers. The Lakers is the home team. If they got the nerve to lose by 20 on Christmas Day, that's your gift. You're going. You got no job. I think if, that's hap- if that happens where the Lakers lose on Christmas Day to the Clippers, Whatever your record is, you out. Unless they got like some crazy ill record, but nah. So the I Lakers will not be allowed to survive a blowout loss to the, the Clippers. Clippers on Christmas Day. Because that's when everybody watch. Even if you're not a basketball fan, you watching basketball Christmas Day. And I'm like I said, I don't know the NBA schedule, but if nah, I'm it's NBA not going to be published maker. for like another couple weeks. But you, you, you gotta. You got, a very, you got a very unique and valid point going here, brother. Like I said, if you lose to the Clippers and you the home L.A. team, where it's the, it's the hardwood L.A. Lakers, and you lose, God forbid you lose by 20 on Christmas Day. You It's a wrap. Don't listen. Don't come back inside. As a matter of fact, no, no. Just walk out with the fans. Go walk out. Like, you're not coming through the tunnel no more. Security will stop you. Security's been security's been told okay. to shoot on site. One more outlandish possible projection. What's the over under 
or likelihood, give me a percentage on this one, that the Lakers just flipped the coaching staff, reverse the roles. You make Vogel the assistant coach? <laughs> okay. Do you nah. see? Do you think that's a possibility? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be hilarious. Well, what was his deal? Didn't he get like a three-year deal, right? I, but remember, your assistants usually piggyback whatever the head coach and roster is. And the Lakers personally went out and shot for his assistant coaches. Like, Frank didn't even get to pick exactly. his staff. Nah, he got his staff. Yeah. He got hired. And it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, meet your assistant coach, the guy who you saw come yeah, in the interview room right after you left. Yeah, because he's been like Lionel Hollins, one of the coaches for the Lakers. Yeah, the Lakers have a, a, a murderous role of coaching. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, what I'm saying. Like, uh-huh. if Jason Kidd get out of pocket, Lionel Hollins ain't no slouch. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, he, yo. Like, they have uh, a three-way hot seat going on right there. Yo, crazy. Yeah, nah, kid, kid is going to, kid is, yeah, wow. And um, mind you, and mind you, mind you, and I hate to take another shot at kid, but kid got a drinking problem too. So, <laughs> yo, you will bring, yo, this is not, the, this, you thought, I, I thought I was bad with Otto Porter. Nah, Jason, Otto Porter is safe. Listen, considering how you doing, Jason Kidd. I'm just saying. Okay, so okay, okay, so 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 follow 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 this projection with me. So yo, you things go south. Probably gonna bring up his Dallas days. Things go south with things go. Oh, oh, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do how he broke up the 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 Mashburn. No, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. We'll do that on a show where we want to talk about classic NBA stories before things went digital. We'll, we'll go into that. But let's just talk yeah. about the, about this scenario. So Lawrence Frank, I mean, Lawrence Frank, Frank Vogel stumbles out of the gate. Mm-hmm. They promote Jason Kidd. The Lakers, you know, they win 9 out of 11, 9 out of 15, something to seem like the ship is starting to right. Yeah, yeah. But Jason Kidd doesn't feel like the team is progressing and then, you know, Phil Jackson and all those guys are radioing down to him like, yo, we, we need him to be a little bit better. We need him a little bit better. Kid, you know, pressure, late night at the office, has a couple of bottles of Henny Too Many. We in trouble. <laughs> a couple of bottles of Henny Too Many. Yeah, and the next thing you know, we got Lionel Hollins announced as the coach. Because you know how they do it in L.A.? When you mess up, you get fired before the reason why you got fired comes out. Hmm. Like, Jason mm-hmm, Kidd will get his mm-hmm. court date, and we'll be like, oh, he had a DUI? That's how they move yep. in California. Like, you know, there's a shroud over things that happen over there. So, yeah, man, that Lakers situation, they could take spots one, two, and three on our list with just their, their coaching staff alone. So, at any given moment, they could all start turning on each other. What if Lionel Hollins is the, 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 um, the internal snitch? So he goes in there and he rats on Kid and Vogel because he wants the job. And while he's doing that, Kid is ratting on Hollins and Vogel because he wants the job. And then Vogel, he can't even do that because they already told him, these your boys. Mm, so he don't mm, even got mm. nobody to complain to. So I, I think the Lakers really do have a crazy situation. I, I'm hoping for the best outcome. But I think there's a lot of NBA teams who have situations that are, you know, crazy enough that they got to hope for the best outcome too. And we're not going to really know anything about them until, like you said, until we're in that like 35 to 40 game window and we start to get an idea of what team's potential are. And that's scary because this is not the year where you want to be the sixth, seventh, eighth seed in any conference. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, unless you're the Lakers and you're the eighth seed and you wind up getting the Clippers, <laughs> you get a seven-game home series. But other than that, yeah, it's not looking good. It's not looking good to not have home court advantage in the first round of these playoffs. People are no, need absolutely. That. Absolutely. So on that note, um, we kind of triggered over the threshold. This is going to be a long episode, but it was definitely eventful and powerful. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Views from the clutch. We're going to go ahead and sign off. Yo, peace. Peace.